All right, so this is a lesson we've been looking for. Satan's future. Yeah. So this will be basically the, uh, the last time that we deal with this character. And so as we have progressed through not just the book of Revelation, but actually the entire Bible, uh, it's, it's God's purpose that not only uh, was he created initially for God's purpose, when he rebelled, God had a destiny for him, if you want to call it a destiny. And so we find out even in Jesus' statement that hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. It wasn't prepared for man because when Lucifer fell, man wasn't even on the earth. So it was never God's intention. Uh, God's foreknowledge, did he know that man would make that choice and that men by the billions would end up in hell? Yes. But it was never his purpose and plan for mankind. And so, but it was his purpose for Lucifer, who we also know as Satan. So in tonight's lesson, we will uh, look at what uh, I think we could be a great celebration, applause. I don't know what the people coming back with the Lord are going to be doing when um, he snatches Satan and the beast and the Antichrist and they're just cast away. But I think that there's going to be a lot of shouting and applause uh, from the saints. Um, so as we uh, come to the end of this, what I'm looking at is in chapter 20, uh, we have verses 1 through 3 that talk about uh, Satan, and that's where they find that he's put into a pit for a period of time. But then we also have a section in verses 4 through 6 that talks about the millennium. That's it. That's all the book of Revelation says about the millennium. Basically, two sentences. But we'll cover that next week. So next week we're going to come to take that up. So we're going to skip over that one section on the millennium uh, because there's just a lot that we need to, in a sense, back that up with. There's a lot of people that do not even believe that there is any such thing as the millennium. And uh, they believe that that's where we are right now. But um, if we are, why was I bleeding? <laughs> so... Uh, if we are, then what is wrong with this world? Because uh, this is not that glorious peace and, uh, that God has proclaimed for the millennium. But we'll look at that. So uh, what we look at then is what it says about Lucifer. Now, if you have your Bibles or a device and... Uh, we, we need to kind of read back a little bit because chapter 20 was not in John's writing. There were no chapters. There were no verses. He's just writing. All right, so we put 
to chapter 20 in there because we thought, hey, this is a good place to start something new. Um, but really, it's, it's not. It's a continuation of things that have been happening. So I'm going to really back up all the way to verse 17 of chapter 19. He said, And I saw an angel standing in the sun. With a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come, gather for the great supper of God, to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet, who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. The rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Then I saw, right, so it's not like, okay, that's done, now we can take a pause, take a, no, then I saw, it's just next. In the Greek language, it's just the little Greek word chi, which is mostly translated and, and some of your Bibles, I think King James still keeps that, other translations may still keep that. Um, ESV changed it to then just to make a progression, but it's just and I saw. And I saw an angel coming down, so I'm in chapter 20, verse 1. And I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain, and he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Skip down to verse 7. And when the thousand years were ended, Satan will be released from his prison, his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints, the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Yay! Now I know. Coming of the Lord is the glorious thing that we're all looking for, and that is the title of our course, Exaltation of the Lamb, but this is just one of those side benefits. This is uh, <laughs> to see the devil finally getting rid of. He's gone. And again, as we've said before with, uh, with the uh, beast and the false prophet, no big, no big deal. Angel grabs him throws him in, 
just snatches him up and throws him in the fire. That's, wow. Yeah. So this is, uh, this is the picture we get of the end of, of these things. And in your, in your uh, page there, something I'm going to be referring to uh, a little bit later, I want you to look at on your page uh, the way that I've printed that. And in green, I have highlighted all of the tying together of the clauses because every clause, every sentence in this section begins with the word and. Now, one place it's, it's translated but. Uh, it's pretty much the same word. They throw that in there to show the contra distinction between those. But for the most part, it's just this and this and this and this and this. So let's just kind of take a look at that again as we look at the body of this passage. Uh, sometimes we get so tied to a verse that we forget to look at the paragraph, the whole thing. Then I saw, or and I saw, angel coming down from heaven. And then verse 2, and he seized and bound him and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over. Yeah, that's all good. I know, that's took a bunch of stuff out of the way and it's just one verb tied together with another. One thing after another taking place. Verse 7, and when the thousand years were ended, Satan will be released and will come out to deceive the nations. Go down to verse 9, and they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them and the devil who had deceived them, thrown into the lake of fire where the beast, the false prophet were, and they were tormented day and night forever and ever. Yeah, that's just all good. That is, that is one of those glorious passages. Yet, in so many preachers, teachers, theologians, minds, this is all controversial. Because is this really going to happen? Is Satan not already bound? That's a post-millennial, amillennial point of view, especially amillennial. Satan's already been bound. We just haven't exercised all of our dominion yet. Um, it's all figurative. There are numerous theologians I could give you a few names that would shock you that don't even believe in a literal devil they don't believe that there really is a devil their theology is the idea of the devil was created by the Hebrews that came back from Babylon after they'd been in Persia and they had experienced that because Satan is a Persian idea and so they brought that back, and they created the whole imagery of Satan and all those things. And uh, it's, it's really, it's just the force of evil that works in people's lives. It's, it's wrong thoughts, wrong desires, wrong feelings, all those things. And there is no such thing as a personal devil. And I, 
I'm, I'm serious. I could give you some names that would shock you. And because you think, well, these are, these are Bible preachers. Yeah, but <laughs> they don't really believe. How could that be controversial? But it is. And then there's the whole thing with the millennium. Is it really? After all, in, in some people's minds, the millennium only makes up two clauses in this entire Bible that mentions the thousand years. Only two places. And they don't even like to call it the millennium because they say, well, that word's really not in there. Well, a thousand years is a millennium. I'm sorry. Just, it's just an easy way to say thousand years. But they just can't bring themselves to see. It's just, it's just there two times. Thousand years, thousand years. It's figurative. It's not real. And so this filled with controversy. And then we've got this battle at the end, really. All the nations, all these people coming in battle and and the Lord's going to come back from heaven and speak a word and they're all going to be defeated. Probably not going to happen that way. It's going to be a small army and they're going to be overcome by the people who are inside the city of Jerusalem and God will give them a supernatural charge and they'll go out and defeat them. It's not what the Bible says. Sorry. I'm just sorry to interrupt your theology with the Bible. But that's the way it goes sometimes. Um, yeah. And then, what do you think is the last controversial thing? There's probably others, but go all the way down to the bottom. The last phrase. They'll be tormented day and night forever. And I know, no, no, that's just, that's what we want to see. So we write that in because that's, they're going to really beat them up and he's going to fry and he's going to burn and it's going to be all of that. But that's just man's idea of how he wants them to be treated. Well, no, no, because that's been in the Bible more places than this. And the Jesus that you love so much, the Jesus who is your man of peace and love, uh, he spoke about this. <laughs> he believed it. Mm, it kind of messes up your theology, doesn't it? So what we've got is a passage that seems just pretty simple and straightforward, but it's not. It's filled with controversial thoughts. Now, I'm not here tonight to take up and defend our position. I'm going to pretty much be going through this. A couple questions I will address, but for the most part, I'm just going to teach what's here. And uh, this is just what it says. So, first thing I want to look at is these names. Verse 2. And it says in verse 2, And he sees the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil, and Satan. All right, so we've got four names there. I have, I've added a, a fifth, uh, which is on the top of your next page, Lucifer, because that's his real name. All right, so the dragon. Now, the dragon has only appeared uh, as, as, a, as an entity of the enemy in, or of God in the book of Revelation. So when we're looking at the dragon, um, 
12 times in the book of Revelation. So you want to think, well, the devil a dragon? No, but this is a way of portraying his ferocity, the, the fierceness with which he comes. This, this dragon would have been a fearful thing and uh, cruel. And so the passages where the dragon is mentioned are passages where he is really being evil and, and doing horrible things. So we go back to someplace like Revelation chapter 12. And I'm not, I'm not tonight, but there we find the dragon mentioned in Revelation 12, 4 through 6. And what was he doing? Anybody remember? Revelation, this is not a test. All right. Not, but what, what was happening in Revelation chapter 12? What was the dragon doing? He was waiting for the woman to deliver the child. And that child was the Christ. And he was waiting so that when the child was, de was delivered, he could devour it. Then he turns upon the children of the woman. That child is, in the words of the book of Revelation, snatched up to heaven or caught up, which is the same Greek word for rapture, which doesn't occur in the Bible. <laughs> Jesus was raptured. And so John covers the entire life of Jesus and his entire life and ministry in just a few phrases. The child was born and he was caught up to heaven. And uh, so, no, he lived, he died, he went up to the cross, he rose from the dead, and we celebrate that this Sunday. Uh, where's all that? That's not, that's not the perspective of John in Revelation chapter 12. It is that Jesus was born, and the dragon could do nothing about it, as fierce as he was. But then all of his fierceness was turned against the woman and against her children, the woman being not just the nation of Israel, but all the God-believing people back to Adam. And so all those who were the the God believers, the believers in the Messiah, the seed, the promise, the hope, uh, the sacrifice, uh, all of those who had their faith in that God was going to send them a Messiah. That's the woman. And she delivered the child, and the child came. The serpent couldn't stop it. And then came the children. And even if he persecuted them, even if he tortured them, even if he killed them, they would not bow to him. They overcame him, say it with me, by the blood of the Lamb and the word, and the word of their testimony. And they loved, don't stop there, they loved not their life unto the death. So they were so, so intent on living their witness that the devil couldn't even take them out. I can, with my fiery dragony breath I'm going to destroy you yeah, and you'll just send me to Jesus thank you very much and so there was this boldness nothing could stop it that's, that's the dragon then he's called the ancient serpent the ancient serpent and this title name uh, 
it goes back all the way to where? To the garden. <laughs> to the garden and the deceiver. And it says, and the serpent was more subtle than any other creature. And the word subtle is a word which means it's, it's a kind of an evil, but you don't see it. Now, I, I know if my mother was listening and she's in heaven now, so it's not going to bother her. Serpents are mesmerizing. And you think, not to me. But they are. And I watch a lot of animal documentaries, <laughs> wildlife. And they're just the way that they capture. And some of them are incredibly beautiful. And you just see them and the way that they move. And to watch a serpent climb a tree or move so fast that they can skim on top of water. And there are serpents that fly. Okay, that's a dream that some of you are going to have tonight. All right, crawling snakes was bad enough. Flying snakes? Don't want to see it. But they do. And they flatten out their body and they glide and they're pretty incredible. Say, like, Jeff, I hate you. Right. But, um, but he's the serpent. So what's, what is it about the serpent? Manipulative, crafty, deceiving. And the serpent was more subtle. Now I know that some of you are like me. You watch you watch some of these movies, and you watch movies where the the guys robbing banks or kidnapping people and all those kind of things. But if he's a jewelry thief, see if the guy's stealing rich people's jewelry, it's like, well, that's pretty cool. They climb buildings, they drive fast cars, you know they they. Gamble in Monte Carlo. They, you know, and they're, come on, how many of you kind of rooted for the jewelry thief? You have, you just don't want to raise your hand. That's subtle. It's evil. It just looks really cool. So, this is his deceptive manipulation, which is exactly what he did to Eve. He's also called the devil, which the devil simply means the slanderer, malicious, malicious gossip. His words are a device to divide. Satan gets into a situation. The devil gets into a situation. And his purpose is to divide. What's the phrase? Divide and conquer. If I can get in between a husband and wife, if I get in between the people and their leader, if I could get in and speak these words, and they, they sound good to one person, and they might sound good to the other person, but, but the way that he speaks to one and the way he speaks to the other brings forth a division. That's his whole purpose. The devil, he's a slanderer. That's, that's what he does. How did Jesus say it? He is a liar and the father of them and the truth is not in him so he's always trying to take away 
God's intention, intended blessings from people. And that's whether those people are godly or ungodly. The devil doesn't care. He'll divide ungodly people and cause wars. Shoot people in public squares. Yeah, that's, that's good. The devil's back there clapping his hands. He's like, I got in there. I manipulated that situation. I lied. I divided. And now these people are willing to kill other people. Is that his work? Of course it is. He's also Satan. Bottom of your page there. Satan simply is a Hebrew word developed from a Persian word, which means the opponent. The opponent, the one who stands against. And who does he stand against? God. But because he can't get to God, he gets to God's people. And so he is the opponent of God. He's the opponent of the righteous. But he's also the opponent of even the unrighteous. He's the opponent of anything that God intended to be good. He's the opponent of creation. He's the opponent of all kinds of, of activities upon this earth. If he can use it to somehow show his uh, skill, he's going to do it. Top of your page two, he's also known by the name Lucifer. Now that doesn't occur in the book of Revelation, but it does occur tw- uh, in, the, in the Bible in Ezekiel chapter, no, Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah 14, where he is called Lucifer, son of dawn, son of morning, M-O-R-N-I-N-G. The Hebrew word, halal, halal comes from the same root as the word halal, which is the root for praise. It means to shine. And so his name, Lucifer, means the one that shines. Because that's how God created him. But he distorted all of that. Just like he did creation after the fall. And he began distorting and causing all these these evil things. He was created to shine. What? To shine upon God. But he perverted that. And took that all to himself. In Hebrew, son of dawn is simply the name Ben Sahar. And so that's son of dawn, son of the light. But he's not a son of the light. He's an agent of darkness. Now, again, look at these, look at these passages. We're not going to go to, to study these. I just listed these down here with some statements about them. People say, well, I'm not sure that there really is a devil. It's just an anthropomorphic. All right, isn't that, isn't that a fun word? Use that somewhere in your conversation tomorrow. Anthropomorphism, all right? And so that simply means taking something and changing it into the image of man. Like he fought like a lion. All right, well, the guy's not a lion. Uh, He's not going to be, right? So, but he's not really a lion. And so, or putting somehow man issues onto animals. 
like lambs. Are they are they cute or what? Right. Yeah. So lambs are just absolutely cute. They're bouncy and all that. So we see them as like little children or whatever. Uh, they're not. They're lambs. All right. And they really taste good about this time of year. All right. <laughs> Sorry, I, just, I like lamb. But anyway. But, and that's what they say about the devil. He really isn't. He's just an idea of evil, and, and we make him into a being or a creature. Well, no, he really is. And he has been. Did Jesus believe in the devil? Yeah, Luke 10, 19. I saw Satan fall as lightning. Or maybe Jesus was just wrong. I mean, everybody can make a mistake, right? Well, then, Luke 22. The Bible records that Satan entered into Judas with the result that Judas went out to betray Christ. And then Satan also attempted to dominate Peter. Uh, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Satan demanded... Well, that's just kind of a, an idea of evil that wants to have you. No, Satan wants you. What was Jesus' solution to that? But you've got to fight him. You've got to stand strong. You've got to do all this. Is that what he told Peter? No. What do you say to Peter? I have prayed for you. Beautiful. But I have prayed for you. And when you are restored, restore your brethren. Verse the book of Acts didn't stop there. Acts 5, Ananias and Sapphira. Um, they might not have believed in Satan when they came in with their lie, but they did before long, right, when they were slain. Second Corinthians chapter 4, Paul records Satan is active in blinding the minds of those who hear the gospel. Satan is blinding the minds of those so that they don't perceive it right. Is that, is that a problem in our earth today? You want, you want something to pray? Pray against Satan blinding the eyes of people because they, they, they so twist the gospel so that they can't get the benefit out of what God has proclaimed in the scriptures. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Satan uh, is transformed into an angel of light, deceiving the church by false teachers. It's just, it's, Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. The word masquerade means to, to put on a costume, in a sense, to dress yourself, to change the outside so it hides what you are inside. Schematizo is the Greek word, or metaschematizo, and it means to change the outside so that you can't see what I really am, to disguise. So I dress like Superman, but I'm not, right? So you cover that over. Now, the better word is metamorphumo, which is when you change the outward to reflect what you really are on the inside. That's when we're metamorphosized. And how does that happen? Through the renewing of the mind with the word of God. Amen. Right? And so as we renew our mind, we bring out what we really are on the inside.
to the outside. So that's the two different words. So what does Satan do? He doesn't want you to see who he really is. He wants to cover it over. So he walks around in not the, the red suit with the pointed ears and tail and all that. He doesn't, because if you saw that, you'd think of the devil. So he walks around dressed like a, an angel. But he's not an angel. And so these are all things that the devil does. Is he real? Yes. Yeah. All of those that were unsaved, according to Ephesians chapter 2, it says, We followed the course of this word, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. At one time, we were all that way. So don't get so down on people who are still not saved. You were there once, but you've been saved, redeemed, made alive, made whole, justified, even glorified. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2 that Satan has hindered his coming. Satan put a roadblock. The Greek word for hindered means to cut the road, to like blow up a bridge so that the army can't get through. And so the supply line is cut. That's what the Greek word hindered. Satan has hindered. He, he puts something in, I, and I can't get through that. So God gave him a better idea. If I can't get to Thessalonica, I'll write him a letter. So God inspired him to write a letter because he couldn't get there physically. I'm glad he couldn't get there physically because we got the letters. Yeah. And the letters worked for us. If he'd have gotten there, he'd just preach to the people, we would have the letters. Okay. So, Satan can come in and hinder, cut the road, blow up the bridge, but God will give you another route Amen. to get done what God wants. Satan does that. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 26, unsaved people are said to be taken captive by the devil at his will. So we want to pray for people that they will return to soberness. That's what Paul says. That they'll return to soberness out of the, the in a sense, the, the clutches of the devil. So that they can fulfill the will of God in their life. And then, of course, 1 Peter 5 and verse 8 says what? Be sober, be vigilant, be watchful. Your thoughts of evil prowl around. No, the devil prowls as a roaring lion. He's real. All right? Currently, he's not bound. But he's going to be. And that's where we're going. Bottom of page 2, verse 1 through 3 again. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, and here's the point, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. A one of, the, one of the points about this verse is it just simply starts off following what we saw in chapter 19. The Lord returns, the battle is over, and then immediately comes this, and I saw. Just like I saw the riders, just like I saw the one on the horse, just like I saw the battle, and then I saw. 
this angel coming with a key and a great chain. And he seized the dragon. And it's interesting that the word that God gives to John to put here is not Satan, who's just the opponent, not the devil, who is a liar, not the serpent, but the dragon, the most ferocious image that there is. And he was to seize the dragon, and he just threw him into the pit. All right? So, this angel, commentaries differ. I think probably Michael. Michael's the one who's done battle before. Michael seems to be the lead uh, warrior uh, of those, the one who can, always is contending for God's purpose. Uh, top of page three, you can read some passages about Michael. Daniel chapter 9, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. That's a demonic power that Gabriel is speaking to Daniel about as he's bringing the answer to Daniel's prayer. But then Gabriel says, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I was left there with the kings of Persia. And so Michael came. And then in Daniel chapter 12, at that same time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. And so, in a sense, the leading defender of the heavenly armies, besides Jesus, and the defender of Israel in all their great battles has been Michael. And then Revelation chapter 12, um, after the dragon and all of that imagery is over, now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent, again, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. So there's all those same phrases again. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And so this is God casting him out. This is the image that Jesus referred to when he saw Lucifer fall. So when this angel comes, what does he do? He, he seizes the devil. And it doesn't, it's not a wrestling match. It's not a big issue. It's not you know, contending, ooh, looks like Satan's got the upper hand. No, Michael's coming back. It's not Rocky in the ring against, what was his name? Who, the, who, who did Rocky fight? Who? Yeah, whatever. I don't care. <laughs> the Russian guy. What was the Russian guy? Ivan. Yeah, that's the guy I remember. Yeah. So, it's not that. It's not wrestling in the mud. It's not scratching and biting and gouging of eyes and all that. It's just he seized him and threw him in the pit. That's and right with the key, he opened the pit, threw him in, closed the pit, and bound it with a chain. And so uh, all of this is done. Uh, just simple statement of fact. It's done. And he's thrown into this pit, and uh, he is triply secure. He threw him into the abyss, locked it, and sealed it with the chain. That is, it's pretty secure. All right, so 
Uh, the bottomless pit, we talked about that even last week. But the idea of the, of the bottomless pit simply is um, one of the realms of death. All right? So there is what called Hades, which some people refer to as hell or the grave. Um, when people die, they either go to paradise, they believe in the Messiah, not if they've just been a good person, but if they have believed in the Messiah, they go to paradise. If they uh, have been an unrighteous person, they have not accepted the Messiah today, not believed in Jesus Christ, then they go to a place called the grave, or Hades, as it's called in the Bible. Hades, which is uh, my best term, the waiting room for hell. It's just you're, you're all gathered in there together, just like paradise for us is the waiting room for the new heaven and the new earth. And, oh, yeah, and by the way, we get to see the battle and the Lord's coming and all that kind of stuff you know, while we're in paradise. But anyway, um, then we see the new heaven and the new earth. So this, this place, the bottomless pit, is a dungeon that is under Hades. There's first the prison house, and then that's called Tartarus, and that's where all the fallen angels are. And then below that is the dungeon, the abyss, and it speaks of... Um, incredibly powerful angels that are there one angel specifically who's called abaddon apollyon greek apollyon abaddon hebrew his name means the destroyer personally i believe that he is the one that god released for a brief period of time to go through on the night of the passover because the scripture says that he will hover over the house and the destroyer will not enter. That's, to me, that's him. And he released him for that one night to smite the firstborn unless you were covered with the blood. Thank God for the blood. All right, so this angel of the bottomless pit, uh, he's there and uh, he is released for a brief time in Revelation chapter 9 and then I, the way I see it, they're returned, right? They're not released for the entire rest of the period of the revelation. They're reached out for a period of time, and then they're returned, though there's no scripture verse that tells us that they are, all right? Um, but what is, what is all of this about? Why does God want this done? To remove Satan for a period of time, that he might be hindered in what he wants to do so god has intended that he would be um, put aside that he could not what's the phrase used he that he could not deceive the nations that's that's his purpose this whole warfare of one nation against another, one person against another, one people, one tongue, one tribe, one against another. His whole thing is to keep the world in an upheaval. Why? So that we cannot hear the Messiah. We can't receive the message of the Messiah. I, I applaud those who are willing to take the gospel to places where there's warfare and there's great danger, and yet they're there speaking the gospel, spreading the gospel, even at threat of their own life. They're willing to go 
to carry the gospel because that's the devil's thing. I'm going to cause a war and no one will come here to minister the gospel. Not true. Because God has saints who love not their lives unto death. They're willing to go. In this age and in the tribulation, there will be saints willing to put their lives on the line to spread the gospel. Pray for them. Pray for them. Pray for more. Because as they go, then there is hope to transform nations, to end the war, to, to transform uh, the peoples. Can you imagine if the gospel could really be released in North Korea? What that would do to totally turn over, <laughs> turn their kingdom upside down and overthrow the powers that have ruled there for so long or free reign in Iran so that the gospel is finally preached to people who at this day refuse to hear. But it's going to take people who are willing to go. But the day's going to come when his deceiving will be over. That he would not deceive the nations. That's part of, and we'll talk about that next week, in the millennium. That's part of what makes the millennium this age of peace. He's not there. He's not there disturbing things. Now, as we've been talking, and again, we'll, we'll say this as we study next week, all of those things that have been happening since Revelation chapter 6, the seals, the trumpets, the vials, all of those weren't just coming against the unrighteous. They were also purging the earth so that it is prepared to be a place of peace for a thousand years. And the Lord will reign over it because he's not going to recreate the new heaven and new earth till after the millennium. And so there is something that is done and that is part of all of the things that have been happening. And one of the last things that has to be done is Lucifer, Satan, the devil, the ancient serpent, the great dragon has to be removed, bound away for a period of time that he not deceive the nations because that's been part of all of the upheaval and all the destructive powers that have been released. All right, so this millennium that we'll talk about is there because his harassing influence has been removed. What a glorious thing that would be if it just was not here. Now, a lot of people say, well, this, that's what we're, you know, Satan's bound right now. How can, how, how can people believe that the devil is bound right now? I don't get it. Have they at least opened their eyes? Bottom of your page. But at the end of the thousand years, that's pretty much that's pretty much the millennium in the book of Revelation. He's going to be bound away for a thousand years. And then at the end of the thousand years. Really? That's a thousand years covered in two sentences? 
that, that's it? That's all you got to say? How am I going to preach for an hour next week if all I've got is two sentences? Oh, trust me. <laughs> trust me. I'll be happy to get it done in 60 minutes. All right, so. But after that is going to be released for a time. And then notice the phrasing. After that, he, what's the next word? Say it with me. After that, he must be released. Huh? Why? Because his sentence is up. The parole board has met. And they've decided that he's been bound wrongly. And it's right for him to be released. No, I'm sorry. At the end of the millennial kingdom, Satan is released. Why? Because this is God's purpose. Who's in charge of all this? The devil? Is, it, is the devil the one that's in charge? Excuse me, I need to take a thousand-year break. I, I need a little bit of rest. No. God has been in charge. Satan cannot do what God has bound him away from. He can't take you out of God's hands. No matter how much you would like to, he can't. No one can take you out of my hand. That's what Jesus said. No one can. Yeah, but the devil's pretty strong, you know, and he might. He cannot. Right? What can separate us? The devil? No way. So anyway, there's things that God has set the perimeter. You can't do this, but this is what you can do. And he has been very good at doing what he's been given to do. And um, what was the phrase that Brother Hagin used to use? He doesn't like, I said, I don't like to say bad things about anybody, even the devil. So I guess what I have to say about the devil is he's one, he's a persistent old cuss. That's, that's, that's how he said it. But he's a persistent old cuss. He, he does his job well. If you are, if I'm the, if I'm the devil, I'm going to be the best devil that there is. All right. So he's out there and uh, he has to be released. Why? Because God doesn't want people who are bound to believe to him. He doesn't want people who don't have a free will. He wants people that want him. And the devil being released upon the earth is going to demonstrate one thing. Governmental rule will not save people. And so that the the power that is there during the millennium, and again, things we'll talk about next week. Can you sin during the millennium? Yeah. But if you do, it's a rod of iron. There's no 1 John 1, 9. It's a rod of iron. People will die during the millennium because they have resisted and stood against the king that God has set up on the throne in Jerusalem. And so there will be uh, no rebellions, but there will be inward hearts of rebellion uh, by all of those people, large numbers of people who are born during the time of millennium. Now, at the beginning of the millennium, everyone is a believer. Because if you're not a believer, you're slain. That means dead. All right, so if you're not a believer, you're dead. 
So all those who go into the millennium are believers, but they're going to have children, a thousand years worth of children. And they, they may live for thousands of years. I, I, we don't know. It doesn't say how long a person can live. It says if a person dies as a hundred, they die as like a child. So a hundred years is just like a child. How long did Adam live? 939 years. But his body was deteriorating every year. I'm, I'm, I'm doing good to deal with 72 years. Of, I can't imagine what 939 years of it would be. Anyway, but during the millennium, there'll be no deterioration. You'll be as healthy at the beginning as you were at the end. And so we'll see all kinds of things that the scriptures say about the millennium. But Satan must be released for a time. And when he is released, a multitude, not just a few, a multitude of people gather to him. Look at verse, verses 8 and 9, middle of your fourth page. And he will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. And their number is like the sand of the sea. There's not just a handful of people that are ready to rebel. There is an overwhelming multitude of people who have for a thousand years lived in peace, an earth that has been purged of all of its evil, where creation is rejoicing and singing praises unto God, where creation is producing unbelievable in its, in its uh, fruitfulness, and so many good things, prosperity and health and joy, all these things, realities for a thousand years. But there's people that are just gritting their teeth. If I could, I would. I'd like to gather an army and go against this man who sits on that throne. I don't like him. I don't like his kingdom. I don't like what's going on in here. But they can't rebel. They can have that in their hearts. But what's Jesus going to do? He's going to rule with a rod of iron again next week. But there is going to be a day, and he's going to release all of this. Look at the statement I, I pulled out of Isaiah chapter 24. Isaiah 24, right about the middle of that fourth page. On that day, the Lord will punish the host of heaven in heaven and the kings of the earth on the earth. In other words, there's going to be this rebellion at the end of this millennial time. And they will be gathered together as prisoners in a pit. They will be shut up in a prison, and after many days, they will be punished. There's not, they're not going to be released. They're going to go from one punishment to another. Now, they're referred to as Gog and Magog, and I know that takes us back to Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39, but this is not the battle of Gog and Magog. There's so many things that are different about this than what it happens in Ezekiel 38 and 39. This is an altogether different thing, and so um, Gog is, is representative of the ruler. Magog of the nation, of the people. 
And so both the ruler and the people, and so what this means is the nations of the world uh, that have been formed during that period of time following Satan, but also individual people rebelling in their hearts, waiting to join some kind of a movement against the Christ. How do you do that? How do you do that? To mount up an army against the Christ, and once they get the opportunity, they will take it. Uh, in, in this, we know that there's a different in Ezekiel, that Satan is prominent here. Satan comes and deceives them, and he leads them in this battle. So Satan is leading. You don't find that in Ezekiel 38 and 39. Uh, the invasion of Ezekiel comes from the north. This one comes from the four corners of the earth. And so they're all coming. And the number of those that rebel uh, in Ezekiel is, is a mass, but it's limited. Here it says the sands of the sea. And so this great mass comes. And they come against the camp of the saints, uh, a phraseology that we'll come back to as we talk next week. Uh, this is the beloved city. This is the Jerusalem that God has set up upon the earth. Not the new Jerusalem, because this is the millennial kingdom. Not the new heaven and the new earth. And then on your page five, uh, finally, just a minute or two, eternal torment. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were and they will be tormented day and night. So some people say, well, the beast and the false prophet were there but they're not there anymore because they were annihilated. No, it says, and they, not he, they. So were simply means they were already there. They've been there for what? A thousand years, and they're still what? Not consumed. They're still suffering, still being tormented, day and night. Now a thousand years. After this, it's going to be how long? Forever and ever. And the Greek language is, is beyond the idea of any Greek concept, something that could go on without time beyond the amount of time, forever and ever, eon upon eon, right? And that's, that's mind-boggling. How can there be plural of timelessness? It will be. Eternities. And so all of this is given, and is his torment real? Yeah, and it will be real. We read in another passage about how the smoke went up for what? Forever. The smoke of their death, of their torture, of their dying, ascends forever. Now, it's an interesting thing. We'll talk about it. But even in the time of the new heaven and the new earth, that smoke will still, still be ascending. We will be living in a new heaven, a new earth, a recreation beyond anything that our minds can conceive. Yet, the smoke, the torment of those in Gehenna, the lake of fire, goes on forever and ever, day and night, so there's no intermission there's no, 
oh god, it's night. I can't catch my breath. You know, you've you've watched things of, of people who've been like on it on the sea for days and weeks, sometimes even months, and waiting for nighttime when that sun is stops beating upon them for at least a small period of time. It's not going to happen there. There he is. No, end, day and night, forever and ever. Not a beautiful picture. You think again in the Greek language of this, this idea of something that is eternal. And it can't be it can't be stressed any harder than John writes it for us. Is this rejoicing for us? Are we glad that people are there? No. No. But yes, Satan and all of his horde, all of those that belong to him, why? Because it was created for them, not for man. This was never God's desire for man. It's not what he wanted. This is not his intention. All those people that are dying in hell, Jesus died for. Every one of them. That's the saddest commentary that you can think of. But thank God, even as we come to this Easter weekend, we can consider his dying for us and his resurrection because we have brought that to ourselves. And as we died with him, we were also what? Raised up with him. Isn't that glorious? Thank God. Father, we thank you for this time tonight. We thank you, Father God, for helping us to see that there is an ultimate end to this satanic, devilish entity that has come against us. He is the dragon. He's a serpent, the devil, our opponent, your opponent. But Father, you've given us victory over him. We speak a word, and he has to flee. We trust, Father God, in you. We trust in the power of your word. You have called us to a life of victory. And Father, we thank you that we will see our victory in this life here even as we wait for your coming. And we thank you for that, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. For um, 